Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Back with another episode of A Gentleman's World. We have a special guest on this episode. Recording was completed. Very exciting guest. This guest is different than previous guests in that she has really changed. She started with a lot of drive and passion in what she went into, and she's now doing great things. And and to my surprise, is even involved in NFTs and Web3, and there's a lot to her story, and I was very excited to, to get a chance to speak with her. Before I get to that, though, let me just give you kind of the breakdown. Of course, our site is CryptoTalkRadio.net, where you can find all of our various podcasts, including A Gentleman's World, For the Love of Boxing, and Basic Cryptonomics. And Basic Cryptonomics popularity is skyrocketing, especially right now, as we do comprehensive coverage of various cryptos and try to help keep you safe. Gentleman's World, we have a lot of guests that we've had lined up so far, and it's been very fun speaking with each and every one of them and us learning from the experiences of these and our guests today, I think you're going to find that this, above all other guests, is a completely different paradigm. It's a completely different thought process. And my hope isn't necessarily to make you feel anything other than inspired by her story and her motivations, because I think motivation is something that we, as a society, have kind of lost over time. And I think she's the core definition of taking ownership of what you want to do in life and creating a path forward and creating a future. She has a very successful podcast and I want to go ahead and introduce her to you now and we'll get right into our interview here today and then I'll close it out. She is an international actress. She's been seen right across from big names such as Robert De Niro, Morgan Freeman, Antonio Banderas, Nicolas Cage, Al Pacino, she is world-renowned. She's an NFT artist. She reads poetry. She reads books. She's all into the arts. And then, of course, she's in NFTs. She's done voiceover work. She has her own line of music and videos. I encourage you to check out her work, which we will cover after our interview. Ladies and gentlemen, Miss Katie Chinakis. And we're finally here, scheduled, locked in, dialed in. Katie, thank you for taking the time to chat with me today that we talk about degrees of separation and the fact that eventually you're going to encounter somebody that has some overlap in your life. When you reached out, I didn't anticipate that there would be a connection, but then I found a connection and I want to start with the connection if I can. If you would first though, I've read a lot of, you're everywhere. You have a lot of content uh, across the web and I've read a lot of the content you started in just the arts, the general arts, poetry, writing, reading, uh, desire to act. You started this desire very early when you were a kid. Talk to me about where your mind was, if you can recall back then. You told stories about poetry and when you were 12. Kind of what was your mind at with the arts and a desire? Was it something you always wanted to do or were you inspired by something? Just talk me through that. Sure. Yeah. Great question, Marcus. Thank you so much for having me and to listen or tune in. I'm grateful for you to be here. Um, so, you know, my, yeah, yeah, my grandmother, my 92-year-old grandmother um, is from Greece, and she migrated over to America for a better life and opportunity. And from her, you know, from her, um, you know, perspective, when I when I went to Greece um, one summer and she couldn't come, I'm like, what can I bring you back? Because I want to bring her the world. I want to bring her everything, you know, everything you can think of. 
and she wanted Homa. She wanted the land. She wanted me to bring her a piece of dirt from Greece. And and so that kind of like is a full circle of when I was a child of like the way she was. I had that woman, you know, this persistent woman who sacrificed, you know, in Greece and came over who went 10 miles each way every single day on a donkey to pick blueberries in a, in a village in, in South Cardamula. So, you know, she gave me so much unconditional love and she um, is a poet and she's, she writes, she's an artist. So she always gave me the, the touch, the essence, the like, you know, there's different love languages. She would, you know, hug me and feed me with food, like to show me love. But I felt that I felt that essence, I felt that presence of that unconditional love. And I have that at a very young age, because of my 92 year old grandmother, who I'm named after Kiriaki, and she's living now. So because of that, I was able to fully express in a way, unconditionally, where I could do anything and explore with no limitations. And I could also, she also invited me to tell her everything and anything. So along my journey, you know, she, I wouldn't feel shamed and blamed. And she gave me this unconditional love. So I was able to tell her anything. And no matter what I told her, it's like she's seen it all, heard it all. And anything I did, it would never be so bad, you know? So I kind of had that that security and that okayness to do what I need to do. And no matter what it was, it, it wouldn't be bad. Like I could, I can literally, I could tell her anything and she still wouldn't judge me. So I had this unconditional love. And then, you know, because of Greek, because of Greek mythology and, you know, um, you know, poetry and Plato and Socrates, and I was able to have those brought into my being and my soul at a very young age. So I think they definitely inspired my mind and my heart and my soul that led me on the journey to poetry and being an artist. So when you get into poems and I've read your poetry and I also dabbled in poems when I was younger for a very similar reason, but not as um, diverse. My grandmother, when I went to first visit her, this is the first and last time I ever visited her actually. When I went out there, she gave me a typewriter and she told me, you know, if this is what you want to do, which is write, because I had a passion for writing in general. I've had a published book and poetry and she gave me a typewriter and I, I wrote a lot of poems myself. Mostly it was a release. I was feeling a lot of emotional turmoil at the time and it was my way to escape kind of into my own world. I would write my own stories around anything and then eventually I would write short stories. As you get older now, and you want to get into the performing arts and you've told the story that you're going through the yellow pages looking for the agencies and to find somebody that basically will represent you and you know because somebody has told you, hey, here's what to look out for. And then you get into your first role. Are you at this point nervous or are you just basically all in? You're like, I'm going to make this happen and I'm passionate about this. Talk me about that feeling. I'm like uh, Armidas, the goddess of the hunt. Yeah. <laughs> Apollo's uh, twin sibling um he's the god of music i'm just like her she's a hunter she's a warrior she goes into the wilderness i just i was on the hunt i'm on the hunt i go after what i want um so no there wasn't um any nervousness that came would be from 
you know, um, when I did a beauty pageant when I was a teenager, um, you know, that kind of nervousness to go on to a stage with, with, and I was well prepared, but to speak in front of so many people, I would just like, I go for the attack. You know what I mean? Like, I just, yeah. like, I'm with DJ Who Kid, who's the DJ for G Unit and 50 Cent, and we're on, we're on tour, and I think it's online, but he asked me, like, one time, because we did the European tour together, and I'm in uh, Africa with them, and I go do my thing in front of, like, 18,000 people, and I'm, like, you know, sweating high, and I went out all by myself, because, like, in America, there's dancers and stuff, but in Europe, yeah. like, it was just me. Like, I didn't have my, my choreographer um, Kindness Marquise at the time, he's, they call them the accessories. Like the dancers are the accessories. Well, but in Europe, it was just me going out there and he's like in DJ who kid and backstage, he's like, yo, how do you do that? How do you do that? And I told him, I'm like, I don't know. Like, I just don't think about it. I just go and do it. Like, like I, I right. kind of reflect after, like when I want to do something, it's kind of Nikki, the Greek word, victorious people just do it to win. Like, um, I just love that motto since I was a kid, I had that little banner that said, just do it with the swoosh. Um, <laughs> and, um, I just go and do it. And like, and then, cause what happens is we, if we want to do something and then we're analytical about it, then we're living from our throat up, right? The communication chakra in our mind, we're getting in our head and then we talk ourselves out of doing it. But if you yep. want to do something and you follow that intuitive hit, and if you want to do something and you have it come, like it's, it's you're we're very primal and it, it's our souls. It's us talking to ourselves and most people, dismantle you know no most people get flooded with the noise and the yep. the the what's going to happen between the two to 99 to figure it out but just show up start messy just do it just go after it every because you have the intention of who you are in your character and that's going to show up in the journey along the way so we need right. to have some kind of trust and faith with those things right absolutely i fully agree and I also agree that it's challenging for people. And mostly I think the challenge comes from, I believe, and I've had a couple of guests who kind of had the similar message that social media kind of discourages that kind of go after itness because you see it in the way people talk, but then doing it is a whole different thing. Being in front of a stage, stage fright is a normal thing for people. Some people have an easier time dealing with it with strategies you described, which is just you convince yourself, I'm going to just go make this happen. I'll worry about the how I felt about it later. Right now I'm in the moment, I'm going to go forward. And then some people, they have to solve that. They have to resolve that up front of, I got to get my feelings in order, which I do want to ask you about with one of the movies, actually. With one of the first that you got into, and was this the truly the first Standing in the Shadows of Motown? Was that the very first film credit? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I didn't, I've owned that one. I've watched that one. And this is the one, one of the first overlaps because I was like, okay, I know the movie, the Funk Brothers, and I'm thinking, and I'm thinking, and I'm thinking, I'm like, she's in standing. So I go back and I look at it again and I'm like, <laughs> I'm pretty sure I don't recall seeing, but then it was, it occurred to me. You were one of the ones in the music store. Yes. Yes. That's now me. you had described kind of how this, this came to you basically say, Hey, do you want to be on this deal? And you go and you see the, the banner and this, was it presented to you basically just you're going to stand in a music store and somebody's going to approach you or did they tell you exactly what was going to happen and what to say? I had no idea. My, I was in Michigan. It was, there was a snowstorm. It was during the holiday. The industry was closed down and I got a last minute call um, to go to Ann Arbor to a music store that I've never been to. And I mm. showed up 
and I didn't I didn't know it. I didn't know it was called Standing in the Shadows of Motown. I didn't know it was a music documentary. I didn't know anything. I just sometimes as an actor, you just trust your agents. You know, I wouldn't yeah. do it on a Craigslist kind of thing. But if it's through an agency, it's legit and they know the logistics, they figure it out. So then there's that trust and faith because you set up your net in a certain way, you know, your safety net. And so I just mm -hmm. showed up and I didn't know this Janis Joplin, Stevie Wonder, the Funk Brothers. I didn't know any of that. I didn't know <laughs> it was going to be any of that. I just knew I was going to be an actor who was hired um, at, and at a music store. I didn't know how many scenes it was going to be. I didn't know what I was going to say. They told mm. me right then and there because it was a documentary. So it wasn't a scripted TV show in, or a film. It was a documentary. So yeah. they said, okay, this is this director. Like, okay, this is the situation. They're like, do you know the Funk Brothers? And I really didn't. They're like, great. Because <laughs> that's what they asked me in the documentary. So I was yeah. a perfect candidate for it. So there wasn't much acting. It was just really listening and responding to the truth of what they were saying. They told me the situation. And then I'm like, okay, cool. And then we just went for it, you know, and I am very open in a lot of ways. So I've been told with a lot of works um, in modeling photographers, they love working with me, I can explain why. But also when I work with fit and film and TV, directors love working with me because like, I really go there, I allow myself to go there no matter what it is before, before they direct me, they're like, okay, here's the situation. And they tell me and I, I really go for it. So a lot of times, even in voiceovers, I get it on the first time, I get it on the first time, you know what I mean? Because, because yeah. I really hear and understand if I don't know, I'm like a scientist where I'm like, okay, what's this? Okay, I, I got the brush strokes, but what's this one little thing? So then I can trust myself and make the internal choices to put it out there, right? And so right. I love, that's why I really love working with artists, you know, and with people because that we give each other the opportunity, like this is my vision, okay, here, this is, this is my vision, we can communicate, okay, let's play action, you know, and then it's like, you really go for it. And that's what it's about. It's about showing up and really going for it. And not only in film and TV with everything. Right. With that scene in particular, the, the variety of people that they had on that thing, it, it shows you how far back that was taken. Um, we're talking people with the largest afros you can imagine. We're talking people that you could tell some of them, like they truly didn't know they were going to be approached. And they didn't know the question going to be asked. Some of them probably didn't even hear a Motown. They said they did, but they probably didn't. So they, you could tell it was random, but I just, I, that caught me off guard. I'm like, okay, I'm pretty sure I know that movie backwards and forwards. And I didn't recall seeing that. And that was one of the connections. So then as you're getting more into the business and I'm referring specifically to the TV and acting, and you've talked about just kind of put yourself in the role of what I saw. And I saw the, the reel that you gave. Thank you for that. You do a very good job, probably more than many other of the most notable artists of convincing the watcher that you are that character, which I think is an art form in of itself mm -hmm. is, can you sell me on the fact that this is not, let's take Patrick Stewart as a great example. If Patrick Stewart is playing Jean-Luc Picard, I believe he's a captain of a ship. If Patrick Stewart is playing Professor Xavier, I believe he's some sort of a supernatural being. He's, yeah. He throws himself in the thing. And then some people it's like yeah but i see you know yeah that artist let's talk about the the bad lieutenant nicholas mm -hmm. cage yeah i was astounded and i want to dig in this a little bit just a little bit because i was astounded it in the scene itself and the directing of the scene because for just that and it's a very 
signature scene, but you're convinced that this is truly a corrupt cop and this this woman is blowing smoke directly in his mouth and then this thing happens while this other, you're convinced because of how well the both of you meshed. There's a, there's a chemistry in the way that you two come across. Was, did this take any number of takes or did you just one take that? I have chills. I have chills. Um, it was a close set. Um, you know, well, well, there's there's wide, there's medium, there's up close. Then there's the you know quote unquote boyfriend in the scene who was with me. So then there's you know we cover all areas. But um, you know, Werner specifically. I mean, when he Werner Herzog, the director, when when he works. I mean, um, he. I remember being on that set, and it's not just one person like me, but um, he. Um, I was told like was rapping early each day, like um, rap the film like he had like, I don't know how many days, like maybe 28 days or had more, but then did it in 28 days or had 28 days and wrapped early. Like like he's very specific. So he, the director was able to like get what he wanted and he was so specific of what he wanted. And I'm such a specific person, too, that I think we worked very well together, specifically in that film. Um, but yeah, it, it was great working with Werner and um, Nicolas Cage. They were they were amazing. Um, but yeah, it was that it was that specificity and the the actors that you mentioned. Like right now, I'm watching marathoning Peaky Blinders and the lead actor, and then uh, Adrian Brody has a, an arc in it, and it's like the way Adrian Brody is. Like you, I'm like watching him, and it's like it's like he embodies what you just said about me. So it's like such a grand compliment, and like you're watching, and you really feel like he's this, you know, the, the Italian, you know, mob, like saying, you know, all this stuff. Mm -hmm. Like I really, really believe it, and and that's the difference when you're someone's like I know what you mean if someone's in it. Or if it's not in there, it's like them, but you see them as them and not the character. But the actors who come in and the craft, it's a craft. And, you know, there's there's certain back and forth. And then it's like your personality and you keep a light, go back and forth. And then there's like the craft of acting where you embody a character. And that's really right. playful and fun for me as a human, as an artist, to really dismantle everything of who I am. However, find it within the circumstances that I've learned, like I use those as a bottom base, then but I'm able to not identify as what you or somebody else knows about me. So I can add layers to this make believe character, right, and take essence of me and put that in there, but then find new discoveries and have that be an extension as well. Right. What's the technique, if you can share of a technique? for typecasting because um, I know you you played alongside Al Pacino and Al Pacino has at times been typecasted. It's yeah. either something with mobs, something with drugs, something with some sort of shady business. Yeah. But he is one of the most diverse actors you can think of. Truly is. Um, he stands out in every single role he's ever been in that I can think of. Um, Carlito's way being standout in my mind. So, and then there's others. Um, uh, John Witherspoon, may he rest in peace, was another one. He's typecast as somebody's dad, and usually he's doing some goofy things. Or Chris Tucker, he's typecast as he's goofy in most of his roles. Yeah. Jackie Chan is typecast as kind of kung fu karate. What are techniques to kind of avoid typecasting? And just so you know, most of those listen to the show skew either our age or slightly older. So we're probably past the point of being in in the business or wanting to be in the business but we all i believe would be curious about mm -hmm. typecasting in general and how you avoid getting typecast into a certain type of role yeah because you've played a lot of different types of people 
Thank you. Thank you. Well, for me, initially, um, I heard about that typecasting right when I went to Hollywood and I was anti-typecasting. So I was this rebel with the cause. I first and foremost, I'm like, I'm not going to go down that palette. I'm not going to go down that road. And maybe that's why I've had such a diverse career how I have, because I was going to march to the beat of my own drum and I was anti doing that or else I could have probably streamlined into like a household name already doing one kind of thing, but I chose not to. And, you know, whether that's right or wrong, it's just, it's what I didn't want to do. I remember, and the example that was given to me when I was young in Hollywood was like Sarah Michelle Gellar, how she was typecast, right? And I'm like, Mm -hmm. I am not going to be typecast. That's not happening. And I love Sarah Michelle Gellar and, you know, the project she's been in. Um, but like Meryl Streep. So when I was younger, I looked up to Meryl Streep, right? I looked up to Reese Witherspoon. Um, I looked up to Leonardo DiCaprio and you, and if you look at like people like Meryl Streep, right. Um, or even Nicole Kidman, they'll, they'll do projects, but then like, they're not in one thing after another, they take some time out. They maybe who knows, enjoy life or, you know, have a farm or, you know, develop a character. It's like they they allow themselves to be it seems to me they allow themselves to be full of something. Um, They get really full in the process and then they're able to do the movie or the show, the TV show and then have that journey and do what they need to do for the business. But then there's like some kind of rotation where they're like gone for a while. Maybe they're just emptying the cup of that character, right? Really allowing it to seep and get empty within, right? And once your vessel is empty, then you have a clear canvas to be able to fill it up for something new to arise, like, and then see and feel what could be very interesting when it comes to a role, right? And then obviously having a good team is so important to help you do that. Um, But really listening to your artists and finding the intentions of why you're doing a project and like, and keeping core to that, like why you're doing a project and and switching it up, right? And working with different directors, you know, knowing different directors work. And um, yeah, so I think those are some, good insights of like how to not be um, typecast. Kate Mulgrew. um, I don't know if you saw this, but there was a short film a while ago called the captains and it was all the different captains of the star Trek, uh, the real star Trek uh, franchise. And Kate Mulgrew of course was captain Janeway. And she was talking with William Shatner about what it was like in the business for her being a mother and trying to balance being a mother, but also her, her passion, which is acting and doing it. And she talked about how much time is spent on set and the time away from family and friends and the time and the damage to relationships and pretty much all of them, especially Patrick Stewart, all of them said the same thing, which was, I chose to focus on my career and that choice, it harmed my personal relationships, be they friend or romantic or otherwise. What, let me ask first, was there any impact and you don't have to give specificity, but was there any impact is first question. Second, how did you balance that? How did you juggle the two to get it to where you could kind of move forward with what your passion was? This is such a great question. It's such a big question. Um, but yes, 1000%. Yes, I felt that same detriment. I 1000% felt that. In the times of now, things have evolved with technology. So yep. I wouldn't say it's the same thing. And that's why I utilize my voice to share with women 
and um, the youth because it doesn't have to be all or nothing. It was that projection of society that it had to be, right? But it's not anymore. There are definitely so many different ways to be able to have both, right? And I look forward to starting my family. But when I was a kid, I told myself I was gonna have children and have a family, God willing, later on in life It was if it was meant to me because I wanted to have a career first, right? I didn't want anything to get in my way. And going for the target and being a hunter, fine. But to the extreme of that I did was maybe, you know, now I'm like, okay, like it's time to get on with it. But the thing with technology, okay, and yes, there's long hours on set, right? It's, you're going to do it. It's like, you know, it could be 12 to 16 hours on set, right? And so also I do voiceovers and you can be anywhere. Like I have a, I have a home studio, like, you know, in Michigan, in LA, in New York. And, um, I'm in New York right now. And and um, so the thing is with voiceovers, it's just you can be anywhere in the world. And and it's like sometimes animation actors, voiceover actors get way more than on-screen actors. And you can do it in a couple hours or a couple different episodes in a couple different hours, depending on your character and the scenes. So right. for me, wanting to start a family, being a lead, like my goal is to be a lead on an animation series. Um, you know, I can still do it from home. I can do it from wherever, not be on set as much. However, when I am on set working, um, you know, because a lot of things are in New Mexico now or Atlanta, you know, you get Airbnb now, you know, so you can have your family with you. It's not like that you have to leave your kids. They have to stay home and the other partner has to like, you know, schlep and whatever. Like, you know, you can be there together as a family. Catherine Zeta-Jones, um, you know, a lot of people, they they go on sets and their families with them. Right. And you don't have to be Catherine Zeta Jones to do that. You can, and you can be who you are and, and start a family. Um, you know, there is a time where you want to focus and get yourself to like a certain place, but actually I found having a family could actually enrich my work. It could make me be more endowed with characters with craft being in a relationship totally helped me to be a better actor i wasn't i was up for a lot of things i worked a lot i'm very successful with what i've done i'm very grateful but there were a lot of roles that were like i was up for it you know and it it was like me and someone else and it's like um you know and it went to another person but i felt like i lacked some you know human experience and interactions that i needed to have um, by being in a relationship. So I I wanted to explore that and go on that journey. And so I did. And I think it's only made me a better actor. So whatever happens in life, children, family, whatever, you can take all of it and apply it to your craft. Nothing goes wasted. You didn't waste any time. We can just, it's just energy, no matter if it's up, down, good, bad, ugly, whatever. It's just energy. And we take that energy and instead of abandoning ourselves, we can take that energy and befriend it and said, it taught me some lessons. And I'm going to transmute that energy. And I know what I stand for. And I know what I'm going to allow. And I know what I'm not going to allow. And then also like on an ethical level with boundaries and being assertive as a human, but also taking that and applying it to your workplace and into the arts. Right. You took your poetry um, and the love of poetry and you parlayed that into music and began a musical journey. And um, A Lover's Fairy Tale was the book that's your poem a book of poems, and then you created spoken word music videos from the poetry that you did. And the initial thought I had was some years ago, William Shatner released what I think his title is called Lemon Jelly, and it's his spoken word uh, album. And I was the only one who liked it. 
but there was just something compelling about it in the way that he did. And of course, William Shatner has that voice, right? It's like, it catches you when you don't speak. And so I listened to this one as well. And it's a very similar feeling. It's a, it's a feeling of reflection that you want to listen to this and you reflect personally. It's not like normal music where you're really enjoying the music because you want to dance. You're enjoying the music because it helps you think and process. You talk about kind of the frequencies and using frequencies that are designed for healing and designed for energy and designed for happiness. So you put a lot of thought into what you wanted that to be. Tell me about music. Music's changed, right? It's, it's a different world in the music business from what it used to be of selling CDs out the back, stories like TLC and New Edition and Backstreet Boys and NSYNC that say, yeah, we were paid $2 for our first album because people were ripping you off. Yeah. Now artists are kind of taking more control mm -hmm. of their destinies. You have Nas who's releasing music as NFTs. And I know you're in NFTs and I want to talk to that in a minute. But talk to me about what it's like in getting into music and just saying, this is my vision. This is what I want to do. Talk to me about how that's going, how that's feeling and what you're learning as you go through it. Yeah, word, word. I love all those names you shouted out. Um, I was actually in the room about five weeks ago. Um, with Blau, who created Join Royale. And um, they had Nas as the first artist. And there were women, like, you know, people getting up on the stage and saying, like, what this meant for them, because they get to own a piece of Nas's album. And yeah. it's generational wealth, because it's for her kids. And who can say, like, they, I'm getting chills right now, because they can, it, it, they can say, like, they own a piece of Nas's album, his essence is, history of who he is, what he embodies. And then, you know, and, and that trickles down, you know, for her, her, her kids and, and then her grandkids. So it was really moving being in that room for the celebration of that monumental moment. And I was also in the, in the space um, when Blau revolutionized the music industry um, in March of 2021, I believe it was where, you know, he took an album from three years ago put it on the blockchain as an auction and it went for like over a million dollars. Like insane. That's when I went full head, like web three NFTs, like full time. And that's when I released my first NFT, but music has changed. It's come a long way. And yeah, I mean, I've made more money in my music NFTs that I ever did in my web two career of music going labels, A&R, you know, jumping through hoops, like, you know, them wanting to pat you on the head or act like they're interested in the music, but they just want to like, you know, screw you over literally like, you know, like drinking drugs, going in the studio, the vibes of the masculine energy and like, you know, having the girls sit around and they're like, you know, click gangs, like just chilling, hanging out, like, oh, I'm in the studio, I'm in the studio, such a buzzword. It's like, yeah, I'm in my studio right now. Like everything's a studio. Like certain people who like try to come at me in certain ways and they're like, oh yeah, like studio. I'm like, okay, cool. I have three. Like, you know what I mean? Like that's not a buzzword where you're going to impress me. So it really breaks down the ego. It really breaks down wasting people's time, you know, being more transformative of being able. I remember like back in the day, Simon Rex, he did some songs with LMFAO and he had me on a couple of his songs that he did. And I remember like we were at, um, Cisco Adler's house, um, you know, I it was, no, we weren't at Cisco Adler's. We we're at Dr. Luke's house. And, um, oh no, maybe I was at Cisco Adler's house. Anyways, I was recording something there um, at one of the studios. And I remember Simon was leaving to go to the Roosevelt um, Hotel because he was doing an album. He was doing a song with LMFAO and they were doing their whole album in a hotel. Like, you know what I mean? And that was like over 10 years ago. So it's so cool with music 
that like you can literally work with international artists and just over the Zoom or online by just sending them files and stuff. I mean, it's cool to be in the room. I've been to Motown. I've been to the original like, you know, Hitsville where it's like you couldn't even move and you had to do everything on one take. You know what I mean? Because there wasn't cut and paste and all those things and like the way that everything was wired and soundproof. So there is something about that moment in time right and i respect that and i have homage to that and it's amazing in addition we're in we're in great times now where we don't have to think about those things because of technology like you are resting right now your hands are chilling because you have that arm and the mic is just like right place in the perfect perfect position you know same thing with me like our we're hands free right now and that's a convenient tool you know that was built so um i think those things are amazing with technology how we're able to um advance in certain ways so it's more comfortable so we can focus on the art so we can focus on comfortability so now we can focus on web3 and nfts so we're not getting two cents per 10,000 downloads or, you know, whatever the number is, I'm just joking here, but it's like, it's insane. Like ye, you know, like Kanye West, ye, um, he just announced the other day, um, his Donda 2, his new album is on his own platform. I forget what it's mm-hmm. called, like STEM player or something, but he's like, it's not going to be through Apple. It's not going to be through Spotify. It's not going to be through any of those. He created his own, right? So that's what that's what he did. Um, So it's like decentralizing instead of giving power to the quote unquote to the other people. Right. It's the same thing with with all the areas. Like if if anyone listening wants to do something, why haven't you done it? Why haven't you done it? Why? Because there's a projection of something outside of us where we need permission from someone. We need to meet someone. We need someone outside of us to do it. And then we, we there's hoops that we have to go through. And in this world of marketing, digital and spam, who do you know who to trust? It has to be through word of mouth because this deal seems too good to be true. And anything that like seems quality costs like thousands upon thousands of dollars. It's like insane and not okay. So with that's web two. So my poetry book, I since, you know, I was 12, I always wanted to be a published author. I wasn't a published author until, you know, two Novembers ago because there's Amazon because there's, you know, self-publishing and I can, there's Ingram where anyone who's listening, you can put it on KD publishing through Amazon for free. You're committed to them for 90 days. And after that, there's a program called Ingram and then it can be everywhere else. Right. And, but before that, there wasn't, there wasn't YouTube, there wasn't Amazon, there wasn't self-publishing. Right. So, so I wasn't able to, to do that, to empower myself when I was 12. Right. It, It wasn't there. The, the technology right. wasn't there. What was there was finding a book publisher, needing the validation from someone who would understand my work, my grammar, and then me having the 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 FOMO of of my maybe my self worth of not being good enough and having having permission from someone out to say, oh yeah, this is amazing, this is amazing, and or someone yep. saying, oh it's not good enough, it's not good enough. So that's that that's with poetry. That's what happened with art galleries, having an art gallery represent you, finding the right art gallery to represent you. And then what happens? Then the they they take a cut, the 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 person who represents you. Then the art gallery takes a cut and then you sell the piece and that's it. But in Web3, right, I don't need uh, a publisher. I don't need um, I don't need uh, someone representing my art and an art gallery. I can put it up by myself. People can see my work, right? There's community building, connecting with people authentically who vibe with me and my art and my voice and my message. And 
that they can then with with the different marketplaces um there's smart contracts so in there there's a percentage and most people put like 10 percent, but you can put whatever percent you want right but most people put like 10 but i put 10 for mine but there's 10 percent. so when i sold two of my music nfts to blake jameson who's an nft artist who's an nft collector and also a curator he when he purchased two of my music nfts he bought those the the monies came to me when he goes if he ever if he holds them, that's one thing. He collects it forever. But if he goes to sell it and resell it, let's say I'm on some big TV show, right? Or I like book a film with Meryl Streep and my stardom like blows up. Those The value of those NFTs are just going to go like way up. And so let's say he goes to resell it and he really sells it or whatever he wants. He could double it, triple it, quadruple it for the same amount for lower, whatever, just to get rid of it, whatever. But in the smart contract, in the original contract, when it sells, that 10% that I originally put no matter what will always go to me. So if it resells 50 times or 100 times in the smart contract, because it's on the blockchain, it will always go to me. And when I'm not here, there'll be a fund set up or a bank set up where it goes to my kids or future kids or to a nonprofit, something I believe in like mental health, you know, um, women empowerment, things of those nature. So I know it's a lot. I know it's a lot, but we don't have to do it all. There's people in Web3 where we do what we do and what we don't know we ask, and there's people who who help, and they don't charge you for it. And if people who are charge, charging you for it, like run, because there's people who will do it in ethical ways where they'll tell you and gift you the information. Also, it's do your own research. It's not financial advice, right? You have to, as a human, do your own research. Do you want this kind of coffee, this kind of coffee, this kind of coffee? You decide what kind of coffee, and then you go in, you make your own bed, right? Um, but I mean, it is a business too. There are people making money. So there's marketing and I mean, it goes down a rabbit hole. You know, people have to, it's an energy and it's a time exchange, but you know, we should never do anything that doesn't make us feel comfortable. And if other people are applying things to us that make us feel uncomfortable, those aren't the people we want to be with. There are people who maybe say, Hey, it's a negotiation. Like, like, I can't really afford this, but I really like you. So like, how about I give you a percentage of every sale that comes along and then you can like barter and give people percentages. So then they're getting money on the back end. And if that person believes in you and your art and your project, even if it's not art, whatever you're putting on the blockchain and they say yes, it means an authentic connection that they like you and they believe in you and they want to support you. And I think that applies to every, every area in life. You know what I mean? We want to be with people who where the energy is reciprocated and we're, we're filling each other's cup full and wanting to hold hands and do it together. And if it's not that, we might want to reassess our relationships and ourselves and how we're not being authentic to ourselves from an applied knowledge or a projection of what, like you said, what we see on social media. You know what I mean? We need to first start with ourselves. And I needed to forgive myself multiple times and say, I'm so sorry. Like, although I'm an artist, like I told my friend who's this multi-billionaire recently, and he's like, you? You, Kiria Kia, out of everyone, he's like, you're the most art, like artistic person I know who just marches to the beat of their own drum, who like doesn't care, who just does it. I do care. And for a projection from him who works with artists sees that maybe this is, you know, um, this is his truth. But but it, it doesn't matter what other people think about me. It's what I feel about myself inside. And I needed to take moments out and forgive myself for not being authentic to myself because we're human and we veer off in different directions. Right. hundred percent on that. All right. Uh, we're almost at time. So if you would do me a favor uh, and take us home, close us out with anything you'd like to share with all listeners, uh, how they can find you and how they can follow you and follow your journey and dig into the information. And you've given great information about NFTs. So I will share that as well on basic cryptonomics, which is our 
other podcast because um, there's an audience that definitely wants to hear on NFT side. But for this one, take us home, close us out. The floor is yours. Anything you'd like to share to our listeners? Wonderful. Very, very sweet. Thank you. You're so sweet. Um, Chinakis.com is my website. Is it going to be in the show notes? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So just my, everything's on Chinakis.com. I have, uh, you know, a three NFT collections. So, so you can support me. I have a merch line. Um, you know, some of my NFTs of my popular podcast, she's all over the place. Uh, I'm in a women empowerment series. My podcast focuses on NFTs and women empowerment and exploring divine femininity and all genders. So I have, I think about 73 episodes up. So if you want to hear me blabbing away, you know, people can tune into she's all over the place podcast, but everything's on Chinakis.com. So, yeah, people can just, you know, I have a mailing list there. People can sign up for, um, you know, and then everything that anyone wants to know about that you mentioned, NFTs, music, acting, voiceovers, all that stuff is on my website. Again, that's Katie Chinakas. You can find her at Chinakas.com, C-H-O-N-A-C-A-S.com. And Katie, if you're listening, the spelling is correct on the final. I made 100% sure of that because I want to make sure people get to the site so they can take a look at the NFTs that you got going, your actor reel. I think it's important. Chances are everybody who checks it out will see at least one movie that they're familiar with. And they'll be like, wow, I didn't know she was in that movie. That's how I was. The voiceover work that you do, your great podcast. I definitely encourage people to check the podcast because the podcast, she's all over the place. That's available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, as well as Amazon Music and the site, her site as well. Check that out. You're going to get some great information from her and you can tell that she's excellent, excellent to listen to, excellent energy, everything, couldn't speak higher, more highly, uh, as well as the music that she's doing and there are samples of the music on her site as well. Check out Katie, please. Um, be enlightened. I think there's value in every guest that we have. Katie brings a certainly a different energy than guests that we've had before, but I think it's it's exciting and it uplifts you to listen to her speak and all the different things that got her to the point that she's in now. And it was an honor and a privilege to have her on the show. That's all we got for you here on Gentleman's World this episode. Just a couple of quick updates before I wrap up today for anybody listening. Uh, Basic Cryptonomics, of course, is still on its uh, two-episode-per-week schedule. That is not expected to change. It's actually giving me increased quality in what I can deliver to you. Same with Gentleman's World. I don't expect that to change. Uh, we're working on the next guest, but it looks like right now that Wednesday's episode of Gentleman's World is going to be just me again. And I've got some very important things to cover with you. Anybody who's involved in Ancestry Review or has at least thought about it, you're going to want to check that episode on Wednesday because I'm going to go into that with some findings that I had from my past and my journey and my experience not to brag or do anything other than kind of hopefully inspire you if you've ever thought about it. I do think it's an intriguing journey and I want to detail that, break that down, what I've had to do to kind of piece together the story behind my past. And I want to talk about why it's harder for certain people than others to put together your ancestry, but also why it's important and why I think that that knowledge should be captured for your background as well. This is not an advertisement. I do it on personal reasons, but I want to share the journey and share the experience because I've learned a lot and it makes me regret that I took so long to get intrigued by it where I could have gotten in back in my 20s and I probably would have had a better experience with the people still alive that now I've lost and don't have the opportunity to ask them. So I want to talk through that journey because if it's ever been of interest to you, I want you to know kind of what's what I had to go through and perhaps inspire you at least a little bit in that realm. 
Thank you very much for listening to this episode. Again, please do share. And if anybody else could see value in what we cover, or any of the guests or any of my content, please point them to CryptoTalkRadio.net. We have Gentleman's World on the three major platforms. It's on uh, Apple, Spotify, as well as Google Podcasts. And it's on Apple Mu- or Amazon Music rather right now. I haven't decided whether that'll change. Or you can direct them to Anchor.fm, which is the host, the main host. And you can subscribe and get updates uh, whenever new episodes are released. So once again, we appreciate you. We hope it's been inspirational and beneficial. And it's good guests. When we have the guests on the show, it's good to hear from alternate perspectives in life. And realize that everybody has their own journey. We have our own way of doing things and our own motivations. And I try to glean different motivations from different people because we're all unique in our own ways. And it, it's especially now with the war and everything. Hopefully we've been able to bring a smile to your face. Thank you again for listening. And I will check in with you on Wednesday.